Stephen ministry is a great way to serve in our church, and it's a great way to be a blessing to, to many uh, men and women here in our congregation. So again, I just want to echo Bev's uh, call and encourage you to think about uh, serving in that ministry. It's a great way to, to be involved and, and uh, to be the hands and feet of Christ to others. And as I mentioned uh, a moment ago, we have a church full of people serving in a whole variety of ways making an impact for Jesus Christ. And, and, and this isn't, again, I'm, this might sound like an infomercial, but this is really a, a, an illustration of what we're going to be talking about this morning in our sermon. How do we live out these beatitudes, these blessed attitudes? What has Jesus called us to as his people? And, and, you know, again, we have a church full of people that are seeking to honor the Lord by living these beatitudes out and following God's call on our lives. You might notice we have this white rose on the platform this morning. Uh, anytime somebody comes to faith in Jesus through the ministries of our church, we celebrate that on Sunday morning with a white rose. This last weekend, we had our uh, senior high uh, fall fling up at Camp Shamina. We had the largest turnout ever for fall fling uh, from our church. We had nearly 50 kids uh, head up to Camp Shamina with our uh, adult leaders who went and just had an awesome weekend. And on the way home from Camp Shamina, one of our, one of our sta- uh, chaperones, Chris Hansen, ended up striking up a conversation with a young man in our van on the way home. And uh, Chris had the opportunity to share the gospel with this young man. And after being at camp all weekend and hearing the chapel speakers and being a part of the, the group here at church, uh, Chris was able to invite this young man to, to pray and receive Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And so isn't that cool? I mean, even, even in a church van, even in a church van, God can change people's lives. So we're seeing great things happen, and, and it's such a joy and a blessing. We, we saw the video earlier this morning from Trunk or Treat, and uh, if you missed that, we're going to put that out on social media this week. But man, Trunk or Treat, again, what an awesome outreach, and what a testament to our community of, of who we are and what we believe. We had over 1,000 people come through Trunk or Treat on Tuesday night. Uh, keep in mind, it was 30 degrees out, and we had 1,000 people come out. We gave out, we know for sure there were at least 650 kids. We had one family that was counting every Tootsie Pop that they gave out, and they gave out 650 Tootsie Pops. That was just to kids, and there were tons and tons of adults there, so easily over 1,000 people. Uh, I personally had the privilege of giving out over 300 gospel tracts. Uh, we gave out a trunk load of Gideon New Testament Bibles. I mean, it was awesome, and again, the whole point of this is about how can we be Jesus people in this world? How can we make an impact in our community. That's really what we're all about. We, we think back to last Sunday evening. Man, we had an awesome annual business meeting here Sunday evening. We had 150 of our members here in the sanctuary. And, you know, if you're not a member here or if you are and you haven't been a part of our business meetings, let, let me just tell you, our church business meetings are not your typical business meetings. They are times of praise and celebration. And we have a lot to give thanks for because God is doing so many cool things. And so we had the opportunity on Sunday night to just hear some incredible stories from all of our various ministry teams and our pastors and just talking about the ways that God has blessed our church with white roses and people coming to faith and two classes of new members this year and people getting baptized at our summer service and you know lives that are being changed through the ministries here at Lakes Free. And it's such a joy. We passed a pretty aggressive budget for this next year. And again, why do we do that? Why do we fund the ministries of this church? It's because we believe God's called us to be a light for the gospel in this community. 
And we believe that we have an incredible purpose here in the Chisago Lakes area and our entire region to display the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and share the hope of Jesus with others. And so we, we need to fund that, right? We need to commit not only our time and our, and our bodies, but also our money to funding that cause. And so we have passed this aggressive budget that's going to allow us to continue to staff our children's ministry and our student ministries. And I mean, man, we're busting at the seams. One of the exciting things that this budget did on Sunday night is we passed, we allocated some funds. We're going to start a study to see about possible renovations, maybe even expansion of our facilities because we're literally bursting at the seams. Those of you who have young kids know, like our kids' areas are packed full on Sunday mornings. Those of you in our ABF groups, you know our ABF groups, people don't have room. They're, they're wall to wall. And so we're looking at ways that we can continue to grow. Why? All for the glory of God, right? That's why this church exists. What was it, 36, 37 years ago? a group of 20-some families got together here in this community and said, you know what, we're going to create a gospel influence for the Chisago Lakes area. They called Pastor Rick to be the first pastor. And man, God has blessed that vision in some incredible ways. And friends, honestly, we're the fruit of that. And we're not just the fruit of that, but we get to carry on that incredible calling by continuing to reach out to our community in some great ways. So, um, I just want to encourage you, you know, when we talk about getting involved, right? When we talk about attending worship and getting involved in our ABF groups and various small groups, when we, when we ask you to give financially to the cause of the church, right? I, I had a pastor friend this week. He said, Jason, don't you ever feel awkward about asking your church to give money? I said, why would I feel awkward? I literally asked them last week to give their lives, all right? Like if I can ask them to give their lives, giving their money is a small thing. I mean, am I right, friends? Like Jesus asked us to give our very lives. And so again, when we talk about funding the ministries of this church or, or contributing to world missions and all of those things, what an incredible honor. What an incredible blessing. And, and where else would we want to invest what God has so generously blessed us with than in giving back to him and, and the cause of advancing the gospel here in the Chisago Lakes area and beyond. So I want to I encourage you with three things this morning. Okay? And again, this is all part of my sermon today, so this is all part of my sermon. But I want to encourage you with three things this morning. Number one, get out there and spread the word. Okay? Tell others about what God is doing here at Lakes Free Church. Right? Get out there and tell the people in our community that, that man, God is doing some incredible things and, and there's some exciting things happening. And invite your friends and neighbors to come and be a part of what God is doing here. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is get connected and then get involved. All right, get connected beyond coming to Sunday morning worship, which again, we're, we're so blessed you're here. We're glad you're here. But man, we want you to be, get plugged into the fellowship of our church through our adult Bible fellowship groups, through our small groups, our men's ministries, our women's ministries, for you children and students getting plugged into children's and student ministry. That's all a part, about being, that's all a part of being the body of Christ together. And then get involved. Find ways that you can serve on mission with us, whether it's through Stephen ministry or on our worship team or one of our greeter team members or our cafe team members or student ministry, children's ministry, holding babies in the nursery, right? There's countless ways to get involved. You can talk to Tom Tangwall and he'll get you out there trimming shrubs on, out, out on the weekends on Saturdays and mowing the lawns. I mean, there are just some incredible ways to use your talents, your passions, your gifts 
to serve Jesus here at Lakes Free. And then thirdly, again, I just want to encourage you to, to give, to give your resources to the church for the sake of God's glory. Again, I'm not ashamed of asking for your money, friends, because again, we're asking for your money for God and for his glory. That's what it's all about. And and we're going to see God continue to do some great things at our church. And uh, man, we want you to be a part of that with us. We want you to know the joy of investing in the greatest cause in the whole world. Now that's the cause we're going to be talking about this morning as we turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Again, here we're taking this major, this kind of significant transition in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has gone from talking about who we are in Christ as Jesus people to now how do we live this out? And we see this incredible call here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It might be a passage that's fairly familiar to you. Uh, two great illustrations that Jesus talks about here uh, in terms of our mission as Jesus people in this world. So if you have your Bibles, take a look at Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the privilege we have of coming to worship you this morning, and especially now the the privilege of studying your word together. God, you've given us an incredible call here in these, uh, these simple verses and these two incredible metaphors for who we are as your people in this world. And I pray, God, that as we consider these metaphors and what they mean for our lives, that you might just move on our hearts and challenge us to, to live these truths out, this calling out faithfully in our lives, not only individually but collectively as your church. And Lord, may it ultimately be for your honor and glory alone. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here in these verses, Jesus gives us two missional metaphors, two metaphors that describe the mission, the calling of God's people in this world. And and these metaphors are incredible metaphors. Uh, We are called to be salt and light. We're going to talk about those, those metaphors more intentionally in a minute. But the first thing I want us to understand is in the very act of giving us these two metaphors, Jesus is revealing to us, number one, the world's need of salt and light. The world's need for salt and light. The, the very fact that Jesus calls us to be salt and light implies that this world is in desperate need of salt and light. Now, we're going to talk about what salt and light do in a moment, okay? But, but to understand that, first, we need to understand the reason why Jesus calls us to be salt and light. A couple summers ago, my family and I were uh, up at our family's cabin in northern Wisconsin, and we came home after being away for three days. And uh, my wife, you know, she was rushing to get all the food back into the house and back into the refrigerator. And, and, uh, and so she runs up to the kitchen, opens the refrigerator, and all of a sudden, this overwhelming stench just like blew away everybody in the house. I'm not kidding you. It was just like the doors open and knocked us flat on our backs. 
and our refrigerator looked like a horror scene. I'm not kidding you. The, the power had gone out or the refrigerator had died. That's what it had. The, the refrigerator completely died and it had been off and everything in the refrigerator for three days had been rotting. And all of the meat that was in the refrigerator was putrid and just absolutely repulsive. There was blood running all throughout the trays and the drawers. I mean, it was just absolutely horrific. And the smell, oh my goodness. Like to this day, thinking about it churns my stomach. It was absolutely just a horror show. And we obviously had to clean this out, and that was the worst part of it, just cleaning through this disgusting refrigerator of blood running everywhere and opening all of the containers that were moldy and just, just absolutely disgusting. Now, friends, I, I share this with you this morning because I think as revolting as that imagery is, it's an absolutely essential picture for us to grasp in our minds and in our hearts to help us understand the nature of the depravity of the world that we live in today. And when God looks upon this world, what does God see? What does God experience in his holiness, in his righteousness? God looks down upon a world that is decaying. He looks down upon a world that is putrefying. He looks down upon a world that is, is rotten to the core because of our sin and our rebellion against him. Now again, obviously God in his incredible love and his amazing grace, looking upon this dead and decaying world, sent his son Jesus Christ to provide a means to clean all of this up and reconcile us to him. But friends, we can't appreciate the gift of what Jesus did for us if we don't first understand just the absolutely disgusting, repulsive nature of our sin. You know, a few weeks ago, we kind of did that, that fun audience participation exercise where I asked you to smell the person next to you, right? And we talked about, we stink, right? We stink. And, and yeah, we all laugh at that. But friends, honestly, honestly, that even falls so far short of just the disgusting reality of the depravity and wickedness of men and women in this world. The Bible talks about where the reality of sin came from. It all began back in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 talks about how God had created this world in a perfect state. He had put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He had just, they had everything they could ever want. They were experiencing the full shalom of God, the true peace of God, walk, walking with God, fully in, in love and in relationship with one another, blessed with the bountiful creation God had given them. They knew wholeness. They knew well-being. They knew the shalom, the peace of God in perfection. And yet Genesis 3 talks about how Satan came into the garden and he tempted Adam and Eve with pride, saying that they could themselves be like God. And he pointed out the one tree in the garden that God had set up, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent said to them, did, did God really say you shouldn't eat from that tree? You know why he said that? Because he knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you're going to be like him. And Adam and Eve, they bought into the lies of the serpent. And they went and they ate from that tree. And in that act of rebellion, they chose to go against God's will. They chose to do the one thing God said. Look, God said, you can have everything you want here in the garden. But that's the one thing I forbid you from touching. 
and they chose to rebel against God, and that ushered in this reality known as the fall that brought sin into all of creation. And when we study God's word, we see throughout scripture how God describes the impacts of sin and the fall and death and decay throughout our world today. Our world is caught up today in a state of decomposition, a state of decay, a state of darkness as a result of sin. The Apostle Paul describes it like this in Romans 5.12. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Friends, did you know that? Did you know that's why death is part of our reality today? It's because of our rebellion against God. That death spread throughout all of creation. Paul describes in Romans 3.10 and 23, he says, No one is righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Friends, we are born into this fallen sinful reality. We are born into a state of decomposition and decay. From the very moment we are conceived, we begin the process of dying. And all of that is a result of sin of humanity's rebellion against God. In Genesis 6, 5, God tells us of what he saw shortly after the fall of Adam and Eve, the condition of the hearts of men and women. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And friends, that wasn't just the state of humanity after the fall. That's the state of humanity today. When God looks down upon this world, he sees hearts of men and women who are living in rebellion against him. Hearts whose only thoughts and inclinations are evil continually. We wonder why we see the chaos and depravity that we see every day on the news around us and around the world. Friends, this is the answer. It's our sin, our rebellion against God. And again, this just wasn't back at the beginning. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, he says that this is the state of humanity perpetually in this fallen world. Paul says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Friends, that's humanity's fundamental problem, is we've exchanged the truth of God for lies. And we've chosen, instead of worshiping God, to worship the desires of our own hearts. And so God has given humanity over to the consequences, the reality of our sin. And, and again, we see the fruit of this everywhere around us every day. We see it on the news. We see it in our own lives. We, we feel it in our own wrestling with the, the temptations of this fallen, depraved world. We, we live in this constant state of decomposition. Romans 8, 20 through 22 then describes how the creation, the whole world was subjected to this futility, to this state of decay, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
The whole world groans under the, the weight of this sin, under the weight of this state of decay. Paul talks about how our enemy, the devil, not only tempted and deceived our first parents in Adam and Eve, but he continues to do that to this very day. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Friends, why are so many people deceived today? Why, why do we turn on the news and see hundreds of thousands of people marching in streets around the world in support of a terrorist group that literally beheads babies and rapes women? Why are so many people enamored with celebrating and cheering this on? It's because the God of this age has blinded their eyes and blinded their minds from the truth so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Friends, our world is sick. Our world is desperately wicked. Our world is in a state of depravity and decay. The Apostle Paul, or not, not, not Paul, the Apostle John in John 3, 19 through 20, he quotes the words of our Lord Jesus. Jesus says, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Friends, remember last week, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's what Jesus is talking about. Light has come into the world. The truth has come into the world. Jesus has come. The gospel has come. But the world loved darkness rather than light. And they don't want to hear about the righteousness of God. They don't want to hear about the state of their wickedness and their depravity. But this is who we are. This is fundamentally the world's problems. This is what's at the core of all of the sin and evil and rebellion and depravity that we see all around us every day. And understand, friends, it's because of all of these realities the sin and depravity, the decay of the world, the darkness of the world, the spiritual blindness of the world. It's because of all of these that the Lord highlights for us in our passage this morning this incredible call. Friends, we cannot understand this call to be salt and light unless we first understand the world's need for salt and light. So this leads me to point number two this morning. We as the church are called to be salty and bright. We're called to be salty and bright. In our passage, Jesus uses two intentionally chosen metaphors to highlight for us our calling in this world. He chose these metaphors for two reasons. Number one, because they're universal, right? Everybody in the world, no matter where you are and all throughout history, understands salt. And everybody understands light. And they understand the functions of both salt and light. And so Jesus says that his people are called to be salt and light in the world. He says, number one, that the church is called to be salty. We're called to be salty. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says in verse 13. Now, what does salt do? Well, one scholar I, I read this week said that there are 11 different uses for salt highlighted in the Bible. Okay? We're not going to go through all 11 of those, but let me highlight three of them for us that, that I think most scholars would agree that this is the heart of what Jesus is getting at in this passage. What does salt do? Number one, salt heals. Salt heals. It heals by rubbing itself into infected wounds and eliminating the bacteria that leads to infection. 
allowing those wounds to heal. I remember when I was a kid in the, in the Philippines, my family served as missionaries there, and we were visiting a, a, a village that was on the ocean, ocean shore one, one day, and a young boy there had accidentally chopped into his leg with a machete. And he had this big, huge wound. And the men of the village, they took this young boy and they waded him into the salt water of the ocean as he was, you know, can you imagine that, right? Screaming in horror, bloody terror as he's, you know, being carried into the salt water of the ocean. But they brought him into the ocean because they knew that the salt would actually cleanse that wound and bring about ushering in the healing process. To this day, friends, Doctors will still prescribe sodium solutions and saline solutions in order to help irrigate wounds to promote healing. And so when Jesus calls us the salt of the earth, one of the functions that we are to bring to this world is healing both through our physical engagement with this world, but also spiritually through our testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to be both of these things. We are to be the hands and feet of Christ that bring physical healing and relief to people in their time of need. And we're also to speak the words of truth, the gospel truth that people need in order to have hearts transformed spiritually. We are the salt of the earth. We are God's healing agents in the world. I, I think one of my favorite heroes of the faith, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army, which began as a homeless shelter in London, England in the 19th century, taking care of the destitute and the poor in London, England. William Booth and the Salvation Army, their original model was soup, soap, and salvation. William Booth said, look, when the homeless come to us, when the poor come to us, we're going to feed them, we're going to clean them up, and then we're going to tell them about Jesus. Because the world needs all of that from God's people, from the church. It needs the healing balm of the hands and feet of Christ reaching out in love and compassion to the needs of this world. But it also needs to hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ which is the ultimate means of spiritual heart transformation that is so desperately needed. So salt heals. The second thing that we understand salt to do is salt is a preservative. Salt preserves. And think about this. 2,000 years ago when Jesus shared this illustration, there were no refrigerators. And they would have to use salt and rub salt into the meat or into the fish to prevent it from rotting, to prevent it from decaying. Even to this day in places around the world where there's no electricity, no refrigeration, people will still rub salt throughout the meat or soak it in a, a heavy saline solution in order to keep it preserved for a long period of time because salt is a preservative. I read an article, or not an article, I read a, a book this last year, a biography on the famous missionary explorer David Livingston, who explored Africa and shared the gospel throughout the continent of Africa. When Livingston died, his servant cut his chest open, he buried his heart in Africa, and then he salted down his body to ship it back to London, to Westminster Abbey for burial. Why did he salt down his body? Because salt was a preservative. It delays the decomposition process. And so as Christians, Jesus says we are the salt of the earth. We are to have this same kind of preserving impact upon the world. And friends, when you think about the impact of the church over the last 2,000 years, you begin to realize that God's people who have been faithful to this call have been living this out and making an impact, a preserving impact upon the world in some incredible ways. Do you know, for example, that it is Christians who started hospitals 
and orphanages and universities and the whole idea of homeless shelters. Christians started those things. They never existed in the world before the church of Jesus Christ. And it was Christians who brought about the abolition of slavery around the world. And it was Christians who championed women's rights and children's rights and workers' rights. And it was Christians who were the founders of the Western democratic liberties and values that we hold so dear today. This was all out of Christianity, friends. This didn't come out of paganism. It didn't come out of atheism. It didn't come out of Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism. It was Christians that brought these realities to the world. It was Christians who brought about international relief agencies, groups like the Red Cross and Samaritan's Purse. And again, I could go on and on talking about the preserving influence of the church of Christians in this world. Friends, just try and imagine what this world of 2023 would be like if the name of Jesus and the church were taken from us. Friends, this world you think the state of decay and decomposition is bad today, this world without the church would be a very dark place, a very rotten place. In fact, it's very interesting. The Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about when the church is going to be raptured out of this world. And he says that when the restrainer is taken away, that's the Holy Spirit who lives within God's people. Friends, imagine when a billion people, followers of Jesus, suddenly disappear from this world. You think you see chaos on the news today. This world is going to descend into wickedness and depravity like nothing you can imagine. And when you read about that seven-year period of the tribulation, you wonder how could this ever come to pass? Friends, when the restraining force of the church, the preserving force of the church is no longer in this world, Lord help them. But again, the church is a preserving influence. The third thing that salt does is salt flavors. Salt flavors, as Christians, we show the world what true life and joy tastes like. We bring life and joy and flavor to this world. I remember when I was a young man in college, I spent a year or two when I, straying from the Lord. I wasn't living in my faith. I wasn't walking my faith. And during that time, I would go to parties. I'd go to nightclubs downtown. I'd go to casinos. I, I, just, I did everything that the world says was fun and exciting. And you know what I discovered? I discovered that all those places are filled with just a bunch of lonely, broken, desperate people all looking for love looking for it in all the wrong places. And you want to know why the nightclubs blast music so loud and have these fancy light shows spray, spraying lasers around and filling the room with smog and why the casinos have all the lights and noise and mirrors, right? Why do they do all that? They do all that to cover up and mask the despair of the desperate, broken people within. And what I discovered is when I started walking faithfully with Jesus... And when I totally surrendered my life over to him, and when I started getting connected to my church and serving the Lord, that's when I discovered what real life and joy is about. Friends, I'll tell you something. The greatest times in my life have all been about serving Jesus and living in fellowship with his church. I look back, I can name all the greatest times of my life. It was the youth retreats that I went on. It was the mission trips that I went on. Friends, God's taken me all over the world. Incredible adventure serving Jesus. 
It's the men's advance that I go on every fall with my brothers here in the church and the fellowship that we have together. It's, it's the times of you know, fun and joy and serving that we've had in our ABF group together. All of my best memories have been in the context of living out my faith with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, true joy, the flavoring of life is found in Jesus. And as the church, we're called to bring that flavoring to the world. It was really interesting. Pastor Barry was telling me the other day, Tina Nickel, our communications director, she got an email from a woman who was at Trunk or Treat on Tuesday night, a grandmother who brought her grandkids. And in her email, she basically said, man, the people of your church, I, I, they, they were just so joyful and so happy. And do you think I could come and visit your church sometime? If you're here today, man, welcome. We love that you're here with us today. But that was an example of what Jesus is talking about. We are called to be salt, to bring flavor, to bring the flavor of life in Christ to the world. But then Jesus goes on and he uses a second metaphor. He says, Jesus' people are called to be bright. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Throughout scripture, light symbolizes a number of realities. God's revelation and instruction. Hope and joy and righteousness, salvation, the radiance of God's presence. In the Old Testament, 200 prophecies talk about Jesus, the Messiah, who would come. And some of these prophecies talk about he would come to bring light to the world. Prophecies like Isaiah 49, verse 6, where the prophet Isaiah says about the Messiah, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And then when Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago, Jesus said about himself as the Messiah who had been prophesied, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then Jesus gives us our verse today. He says, not only was he the light of the world, but now you as my people, Jesus' people, your mission is to be an extension of my light. You are the light of the world. You are the ones who shine brightly into the darkness. Friends, our mission as God's people in this world is to reflect the light of Christ. How many of you saw the full moon last weekend? The hunter's moon. You remember the, the full moon that was out? It was awesome last weekend. Just this massive bright moon. That's not it. That's just a picture of a full moon. <laughs> but it was still pretty amazing. But friends, understand the moon... The moon has no light in and of itself. The moon reflects the light of the sun. And in the very same way as God's people, we reflect the light of Christ shining and displaying in our lives out back into the world. Listen to the way the Bible describes it. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul says, God said, let light shine out of darkness. This same God who said that has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So God has shown his light into our hearts. And now, Paul says in Ephesians 5, 8, as a result... You were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. This is our calling. We are to be light in the Lord, sharing God's truth, offering his hope, conveying his joy, living righteously, bearing witness to the power of his salvation, radiating the Holy Spirit's presence within us. 
Jesus uses two illustrations to to highlight this calling to be the light to the world. He talks about a city on a hill whose light cannot be hidden. Friends, have you ever been driving out in the country, out in the darkness, and then out in the distance you see the sky suddenly illuminates? And, And it's the light of the city reflecting off the clouds, and you realize there's a city up ahead. And man, if you're traveling on a long road trip, that light, at least for me, that light symbolizes hope and rest and peace. I know I can find a hotel there. I know I can find gas there. I know I can get food there or go to the bathroom there, right? Like the light of the the city on the hill illuminates the brightness. And Jesus' point in this, friends, is that as Christians, we cannot be invisible. We are like a city on the hill whose light cannot be hidden. We are to shine brightly. Jesus then goes on, he uses this next example. He says it's like a lamp that lights up a room. He says, you don't hide a lamp under a basket. No, you put it on a stand so it illuminates the whole house. Friends, our lives are to be like a light that shines brightly, the hope of Jesus Christ. Your life is like this candle. You only have one life to live. You only have one life to live. 60 years, 80 years, 100 if you're lucky. But every day your light is burning. And my question for you this morning is how are you going to burn your light? How are you going to use your life to share the hope of Jesus with this world? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The great missionary C.T. Studd in that famous quote, How are you going to use your light, friends? Because every single day, your candle's burning. And we're to be reflections of Jesus Christ in this world. I brought this picture frame. You know, it's kind of an interesting illustration. Because we are to be reflectors of Jesus Christ. So that when, when the world looks at our lives and sees our lives and hears our testimony, they don't see us, they don't see the frame they see Jesus displayed through us. And, and, and what this means, friends, is it doesn't matter what your frame looks like. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter the gifts you've been given, the talents you have, the abilities you have. It doesn't matter the size or shape of your frame or how ornate your frame is. All that matters is, does your frame display Jesus? Amen. And every single one of us is called to be representatives of Jesus Christ to the world reflecting his love to all around us. And what's so amazing is Jesus tells us here at the end of our passage, he says that when we do this, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That that word there, glory, the word there, glory, is doxazo. It's where we get the word doxology from, to sing praise. And when we live in the way of Jesus, when we live as his people in this world, when we live to share the hope and good news of the gospel, Jesus says that there will be some who will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Friends, let that be true of our church. Let that that be true of each of our lives. May we live in a way that people see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven. Let's stand this morning. I want to close by singing the doxology together. This will be our benediction and our prayer this morning as we we leave.
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Friends, let's go into this world this week and be salty and bright for God's glory. Amen. Hey friends, thanks for joining us online today. If you have further questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to give financially to the ministries of Lakes Free Church, I encourage you to visit our website, lakesfree.org. There you'll also find information regarding our upcoming events. You can access all of our past sermon series, along with a host of other valuable resources. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our Sunday services or other events. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you.